0: All right, Spread Aviation Nation, welcome back. This is episode 33 of the Spread Aviation Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Rob. And uh, this is my first episode in a a few months. In a very long time. Yep. And Rob, you did a great job of kind of introducing what was going on with me. But on December 5th, I had some major surgery on my upper jaw. Uh, Fully recovered from that at this point. Um, Starting to eat solid foods again and getting back into the grind. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Why don't I you give it. that to camera too? Give that oh. to camera too. Yeah. It was fun. Definitely
1: needed it. This is awkward. I like looking at you. Yeah, I know. We'll we'll look at each other later. But you're talking to the audience right now. The audience is in the camera. Got it. Yeah. So
0: anyway, uh, so December fifth. Uh, so you know, it's a twelve week recovery process. So I'm um, pretty much done by like March first. Um, Finally, starting to work out again and and feeling like myself again. So, um, other than that, uh, that's about it. That's that's kind of what's going on with me in the last uh, uh eight to twelve weeks. How were your holidays?
1: Mine was good. Cool. Yeah, no, I had a good time. Yeah, uh, I ended up in Fort. Wait, no, West Palm uh-huh. for Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's, celebrating all of those all in one. Nice. So that was a lot of fun. Rob, look at the camera. Talk to no, actually, her. now I'm talking to you because you asked the question. Um, this is not me giving it to the audience who are out there. I got gotcha. This is me giving it to you. See, it's this different game of having the cameras up here. Yeah. Got to get some practice with it. Yeah. Some of this is, is for me. It'd be better to have the cameras here. Well, we do have a camera in the middle. Oh. Yeah, we okay. have that one. So that's one. Yep. You're on two. Yep. I'm on three. Yep. Check, Dale, check Dale one. Earnhardt. Check, check two. Two. Camera two. Wait, this
0: reminds me of the movie. Camera one. Camera two. Camera 1, camera 2. Which movie? Camera 1. Which movie? Two. I don't know. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yes. yes. Camera, one, camera, <laughs> camera, one, camera
1: 1. Which is so true. It's two different eyes. Well, yeah, and the brain combines the image. We get stereo and depth perception and all kinds of things and Speaking of eyes, I
0: had my eye doctor appointment on Friday after not going for like 6 years and I was totally going to be convinced that my eyes have probably gone to all you know and
1: have nope. regressed in still, your old
0: age. Still 2015 in both eyes, naturally. Knock
1: on wood. Hey, don't knock on the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry to everyone. Sorry out there. about that. <laughs> sorry. 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 No, 2015 in both eyes is very, very good. I paid for 2015 because I was I was 2,400. Is that bad? Is that's, that bad? That's very bad. That means that um what other people can see at 400 feet, yep. I can see at 20 feet.
0: Oh, is that how those numbers work?
1: Yeah. So- yeah. So what other people can see at fifteen mm. feet, you can see at twenty feet. So is the first
0: number the uh, is, is the first number the feet? They're both feet? they're both feet, yeah. So the first number is what most people can see at twenty feet. The second number no is what you can see at twenty feet. No, the the second number is what you can see at twenty. No, no, no,
1: because oh, y- what you see at twenty oh. feet, other people see at fifteen. And what other people see at twenty feet, wait. Oh, yeah. I was seeing it, f- or no? What other people yeah. see at four hundred feet, I was seeing at twenty feet when I was twenty four hundred. Now yeah. in twenty fifteen, twenty ten in the left eye, twenty fifteen in the right eye. I got you. I got you. Or maybe well, it's that's the other an interesting.
0: Way. Way, but I never really knew that. That's what that meant. Cool. Oh yeah.
1: Everything you learn on the spread aviation podcast. We're not just talking airplanes, folks. <laughs> so yeah, I was standing in my buddy's backyard in Ohio a couple months after the surgery, mm-hmm. and we were looking across this river. That ran through his backyard, and then there was a golf course on the other side, and I was talking about the orange steak on the other side of the river, mm-hmm. and he's going, what orange steak? And I went, oh, finally, I can see something that other people can't. I felt really hoity-toity at that point. So how old was that beef? What? <laughs> you said orange steak.
0: It's like, well, never mind.
1: Stay, Welcome back, Matt. All right. Well... <laughs> Hey. You'll have to explain that. So we had some, we
0: had some interviews on, uh, I guess episode 30 was our summary podcast, which, uh, you had said there were 28 episodes prior. Well, yeah, we, we released some of those out of order, I guess. No, cause there actually were 28 episodes prior to episode 30. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't want to give away our secret. But you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking so about. So if you're still confused as to why Rob said there were 28 episodes before episode 30, go back and take a look.
1: That's all <laughs> we'll leave it at that. You're going to ask people to do math. That's not fair. Well, we had we had Jeff Petroselli, We had Blaze Gallyhue. We had Chris Stratton uh, on mm-hmm. as our as our guest host. And out of Jeff Petroselli being on and talking about the aerobatic competition world – we got some great feedback from the viewers out there, and so we put together another show called The Aerobatic Show that's featuring Jeff Petroselli and I, as well as some other guests. Whoever we can get into the show, really, is, is what we're going for. But we'll be filming that one live in his hangar, surrounded by aerobatic airplanes. He's got a beautiful steerman, a Pitts. S2, there's a Christian Eagle and his extra 330 SC, which was featured in our Instagram posts out at Oshkosh. Uh, as the spread aviation extra of aviation excellence. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to have this kind of relationship and we'll be, we'll be, <laughs> we'll, we'll be putting together some episodes Doesn't of some new content, uh, for the future. And we're, we're looking forward to all that as well as the, the, uh, the aerobatic personalities that we're, we're hoping to get on the show that will be, uh, filmed live and put out there, uh, for, for everybody that's out there.
0: The acronym for that is SAY.
1: The extra of spread, spread aviation, aviation. extra aviation, aviation excellence. excellence. Yeah. yeah. Say-we. <laughs> uh, we need more consonants. Yep. 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 Like my last name. Use check. You have too many consonants way too close together. <laughs> did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. Yeah. Are we yeah. allowed to say Super Bowl or do we have to say big game? No, we can say Super Bowl. It's fine. I don't okay. think anybody's going to chase us. Because there it. was somebody on... on uh, uh, in the Super Bowl, named Yazchek. No, named Juszczyk. J U
0: S Z C Z Y K. Y K. Yeah. J U S Z C Z A K. So it's an alpha and Yankee difference. That's it. Well, that ain't bad. Nope. Oh,
1: were you cheering for? Uh...
0: I was conflicted because my buddy Mike has is a huge Kansas City fan, has always wanted them to win, mm-hmm. but. I knew a lot of people in San Francisco who are 49ers fans. So and he plays for the 49ers. He plays for the 49ers. So, frankly, I was rooting for either side, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, but it was like a 51-49 thing. I'm glad Kansas City won for my buddy Mike because it's been a while.
1: Apparently a guy that went to school with uh, or went to the same high school as my wife, not at the same time, uh, was in the was in the Super Bowl playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, I mean, I had a little bit of a dog in that fight. Uh, other than that, being in New England. Could have rooted for Jimmy Garoppolo to have a big game and to go out there and win one, but, um, I, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was good overall and, um, thought it was entertaining. Same. <laughs> Cool the, story. All right. My, my hot water is now cold. Well, yeah. I filled that, what, four hours ago? Yeah. 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 Hey, we're going to go to the gym. Hold gonna, on. I just got some yeah, email. Yeah, we, go, we were going to <laughs> go to the gym
0: today, and then I was like, I just got to go through my email, and I realized I was about six days behind, so it took about six hours, and Rob was nice enough to make me some hot water that I was going to make some green tea with, and that was also about five hours ago, so... Now it's a little cold.
1: I mean, you, nice. you did manage to, to make the tea eventually, but it did. was it was a completely With different glass of water. water. Yep, yeah. yep. And man, that was green
0: tea matcha, matcha green tea. Um, not a Shark Tank product or anything like that, as we have done in the past. But oh, yeah. What was that stuff? Really Cave shakes. Cave shakes. Cave I forgot shakes. about that. I mean, those were pretty good. They were good. Yeah.
1: Um, But, you know... Uh, we didn't get any money from them, so we're going to stop talking about Cape Shakes. Cape Shakes, delicious. Check them out if you can. Yeah, where are they? Where can, where can you find those? I really On, don't uh, remember, but we, you know,
0: we're not sponsored by them, so <laughs> they were good though. They were pretty good. Um. Should we close the door?
1: What? No, we can't close the door. Why? Because Belmont would be trapped upstairs without his litter box. Oh. Yeah, so the cat comes downstairs and he's got the litter box in the in the laundry room, which is right there. Um so we can't close those doors. We can't close the door upstairs. But I'm I'm pretty confident that we're not getting any audio cool from uh from upstairs.
0: All right, sounds good. So Well yeah, uh, let's just dive into the episode today. We got a lot to talk about. Um Yeah, we've wasted enough of your time. Yeah, I mean it's always good to have like a five to ten minute introduction. I think that was about ten minutes, so we're good. Yeah. Um if you have any feedback on the way we opened episode thirty three, please send an email to hello at spreadaviation.com. Yeah, and check
1: us out on Instagram. YouTube,
0: Instagram. Facebook. We're still on Twitter for now. For now. <laughs> we, might, we might if you want us to uh stay on Twitter, follow us. If you don't want us to stay on Twitter, unfollow us.
1: We have fifty three followers. We have been stuck
0: at fifty three followers for about a year and a half. Which is really funny. Like I even my like personal that Twitter camera. account sorry. That one. Even my personal Twitter account, I have like gained followers without even posting over the years. But like our spread aviation Twitter account is stuck at fifty three followers, so Help us out! Help us out! Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, in recent uh, in recent, recent news. news, we got to do in breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> I have to let the Morse code run. If anybody can tell us what that Morse code. Actually stands for, send us uh, send us a message on uh, on Instagram or uh, hello at com Or tweet at us. Or tweet at <laughs> us. Spread Aviation. Monday yep. night live streams. Okay, I'm getting off topic here. Uh, British Airways smashes record for quickest subsonic flight from New York to London, uh, reaching a top speed during the flight of 825 miles per hour over the ground. The aircraft actually got into uh, London from New York, what was it an hour and three minutes? <coughs> oh, you okay? Are you dying? Sorry, yeah, my mouth is still not full. I up. know this is I know this is
0: big news, but I don't think yeah. it's necessarily the, that the tea was really strong because I didn't pull the tea back. <laughs> I, I took a sip of the tea and I was like, "Oh man."
1: Uh, okay, so let's see here. It, it uh, comfortably beat the pre- previous record of five hours and thirteen minutes, held by Norwegians since January 2018. Something about January and the cold, uh, the colder months, the jet stream comes further down south, so you can capitalize on those um, high-velocity winds uh, aloft to get from uh, west to east. Uh, From a ground-speed perspective, it was going faster than the speed of sound. Yes. From a A
0: ground-speed perspective.
1: Ground-speed. But in flight, it was still only doing about 520 miles an hour or something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which, I mean, it's Mach 0.82-ish, Mach 0.81. But the speed of sound is dependent on temperature. And so as the temperature goes down, the speed of sound also goes down. But the speed of sound on the ground was was not uh, affected by this flight because it wasn't the aircraft moving through the air at a true airspeed faster than... Uh, the speed of sound, so there wasn 't any compressibility there weren 't any shock waves there wasn 't anything out there to actually make the sonic boom. Uh, the aircraft was was still in subsonic flow the entire time and, and uh, had no risk of of any kind of structural failure or anything like that mm-hmm. so so it 's pretty remarkable that it was able to get there and hit a top speed that was faster than the speed of sound Now I was
0: reading that that an aircraft that landed after it, Virgin Atlantic came in one minute slower. And then another British Airways plane came in three minutes slower than that, but they all all three planes broke the record, yeah that had previously been held by Norwegian, yep.
1: So I'm sorry I was I think I was wrong about the the time there uh, this this says it was it's like four
0: hours and fifty three minutes something like
1: that yeah let's see here uh, four hours fifty six one, one did it in four fifty seven one did it in four fifty nine yep. so you're absolutely right on that mm-hmm. and then uh, it said it was almost two hours early, earlier than scheduled but I'm yeah. not seeing the 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 real time on this on this particular article. Now, if that had been
0: JetBlue, it would have been three hours late, even though it was even for... <laughs> Wait, NASA. no. JetBlue, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we like... love you, JetBlue. You, mean, you JetBlue. mean Spirit. You, know, it's, it's actually, you mean Spirit. It's actually... Been, there's nothing... Spirit
1: would have charged you for the extra... Right, uh, yeah. For
0: the faster speed, David. <laughs> you bought the faster Somebody speed option. Somebody had to option. pay for that. Upgrade. Lombardo, where are you when we need you? Let's <laughs> see. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually... That's that's pretty awesome. Um you know, something else I noticed while we're talking about airliners is, you know, Southwest recently started doing uh, flights to Hawaii. Ooh. And, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big deal, right? But what's even cooler is um, that they're actually flying in between the islands as well. I didn't know that. But, like, what used to actually be done by Aloha Air, et cetera. Because I was looking at Flight Rider 24 the other day, uh, and, you know, it was actually stalking one of my friends who was flying out there. And uh, I was like, "Oh, is this your flight?" And he's like, "Nope." I'm like, oh, "Is this your flight?" He's like, "Nope." And I was looking, I was filtering on Southwest 737s, and there were all these inter-island flights too. That's pretty cool. They were doing like 20-minute flights on 737s. They were 73s. They're all 73s. Wow. 73s. I'm kind of blown away by that. Yeah. So speaking of cross-ocean uh, travel, uh, I think this is a good segue to you know, you and I have been talking about. Uh, let's talk about ETOPS.
1: Okay. Yeah. As I type into the Google. <laughs> tell me tell me what you want to know about ETOPs. Well, I mean
0: the thing to me is that uh you know, JetBlue's been looking at the you know, getting the new extended range for their London service. Are you are you now taking off your socks? Yeah, it's getting hot. I'm like I'm like Hillary. I'm, okay, you know, I'm, I'm checking the cameras the to, to make sure your feet um, aren't in it. My like... feet aren't in it. Okay. Well, I mean if you're gonna put cameras ETOPS. In, then, like, E-tops. <laughs> So This is um, the stuff that gets edited out of the podcast. ETOPS stands for Engines Turn or Passenger Swim.
1: No, that's not what it stands for. So what does it stand for? It stands for Extended Range Twin Engine Operational Performance Standards. And it's a rule which permits twin engine aircraft to fly routes, which at some point is more than 60 minutes flying time away from the nearest airport suitable for emergency landing. So it's really about how far you can be from a alternate. It's kind of like how in our single engine world, we have to not be beyond power off glide distance from shore, mm-hmm. unless we have our, uh, uh, pyrotechnic device, our flotation device yep. for all passengers mm-hmm. and, and all that. So if, um, if, if This rule kind of came about, um, in the technological advancements that happened in the 80s and 90s, moving on from the 707s and the 747s and, and the, the Airbus A340s and A300s, the, the four engine jets, because the two engines, the two engine jets, the engines were getting so much more powerful and so much more efficient that you didn't need four anymore to do the same job. And so then, you didn't have to carry as much weight in engines and pylons and bolts and connections and fairings and cowlings and all that. You could take more passengers and you could take more luggage and you could take more mail and cargo and make really a bigger profit. Makes
0: sense. I was just checking to see if anybody had emailed in from our, from our live on
1: Instagram, but nope. Okay. Well, besides your, Interesting understanding of what ETOPS meant. Engines turn or passengers swim. Yep. Did you have any other questions with that or anywhere else you wanted to go with that? No, I just think it's interesting. And, and
0: you know, it, it is kind of a coincidence that the great circle distance between the U.S. and Europe takes you north through, you know, close to Iceland.
1: Yeah, because the Earth right. is
0: round. Right. So if you think about it, like people think about the Atlantic, but it's just a quin. Like, it's actually great that Iceland and Greenland happen to be there because if, if they didn't exist you really wouldn't you wouldn't have this option of well I mean that's the fact that you can actually fly from here to Europe and stay that close to land at all times yeah well yeah is
1: is pretty impressive um I don't know like the numbers on routes from Atlanta but i what is four flight say oh uh, well let's let's check here uh, this would be the perfect time for us to have an ad read so <laughs> while we're doing these things where we look up on on fourth flight or flight Aware? four flight yeah, do four flight. Oh that's probably better to do on my phone, but um Or even Florida, right? Yeah, I mean what are the what are the uh what are the routes like what are the carriers, where are they flying, what are they doing? Uh I know coming out of New York, everybody's flying over top of Boston and Maine and headed out that way. Um I think they're even following the Victor Three airway, which is right over top of us. Uh, and then headed out over to, let's see, we have some transatlantic routes. Uh, there's uh, E's coming back, and those are way up north, so we have Q and romeo and yeah, track R, track Q, track T, uh, and all this kind of oceanic stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's coming off of uh, Gander, and who's that, um, What is this island here? I need to learn my geography of Canada. I don't know what this is. Yeah, Newfoundland. Yeah. Labrador, Canada, Gander. Yeah. So everybody's headed up north uh, over top of Boston from New York and then hooking the right-hand turn, making a right-hand turn over there out over the the northern latitudes, uh 48 49 and even 50 there. So I mean a lot of a lot of interesting things going on. Is that really? Yeah. 48, yeah. 40
0: 47? Yeah. Mean mm-hmm. Here it's you know, I just did uh, well. Yeah, I guess it is pretty far south of Iceland when you look at it from Florida, but still.
1: Oh yeah, so Florida, if you're coming out of Florida, well, yeah, you'd have to get up to the Z routes, but then you have, let's see, are these the Canaries? What are these? Uh, oh, the Azores. Yeah, so you got the Azores. Off of Portugal. The Canaries are way over off the coast of Africa. I forgot about that. Uh, is this Bermuda? No, what is this? This is a big old island right here. Yeah, that is Bermuda. Okay. So Bermuda's out there. I actually had a uh, a customer in the tailwheel who had a diamond twin star and a house in Bermuda, and he would fly the twin star um, from Norwood. No, not Norwood. Uh, from Lawrence and Bedford. I think he would go down to Norfolk, Virginia. Top off with gas there, and then fly out to Bermuda. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow! So, I mean, Diamond Twin Star, just getting getting some uh, getting some range out of that. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah I'd do that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah. In the past, you had to have you had to have four engines for the operational safety and take mm-hmm. a bunch of gas. But uh, then they weren't cramming the passengers in either. You know, there was a lot more luxury with some of those aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had government deregular, or you had, you had government subsidies, so you didn't have to turn a profit. You didn't care about that as much. Mm-hmm. So you could burn four engines worth of gas and you didn't care about not taking a completely full jet. So, yeah. But the Concorde, have you been in the Concorde? I haven't been in it, no. Okay, so we need to take another trip down to New York and get on, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I just lost, the name of the aircraft carrier that's out there on on the Hudson. Completely so I blank. I had it in my head, and then yep. As soon as I
0: said, as it, as soon as it, it's you gone. said it, it's gone. Um, <laughs> not Excalibur. No, uh, it's not
1: Excalibur. It's. I don't think it's the Enterprise. Enterprise. Uh, the thing. is it beginning
0: with a V? No. Uh,
1: zooming. Edit this out. Zooming. Zooming. Come on, little Mac. You can do it. <laughs> and turn on the helicopter chart. And Hudson. Zooming. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. Let's see. I've almost got it. I've almost got it. Is that the wrong river? Nope. There it is. We got it. I can see. The yep. Intrepid. Intrepid. <laughs> Yeah, To the Intrepid. So they do tours of the Concord that's on the deck there. Get and get inside it? You get inside. You sit in the first, uh, I think they have the first eight rows open. Oh, wow. And it's really no bigger than an Embraer 145 inside. Wow. Uh, the, the space-wise, side to side, top to bottom, you know, standing up high. How was the leg room? Um, wasn't horrible. No? Wasn't horrible. But... You're going so fast. You're getting to London in less than three hours. It's like you know, like oh, okay. Well, I can tolerate this for yep. less than yep. three hours. And the food was amazing, and mm-hmm. all that. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't have any food while we were on it, but yep. um, the tour of the Concord over there was was great. And um, the 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 docents were very knowledgeable people, and it was it was an excellent tour. Um, we'll, we we should have some photos still um, on our Instagram. But very good time. Uh, if you're going to fly down there, um, Morristown isn't too far outside the city. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes or so. Uh, Newark is where Matt and I have actually flown into. And stay away from Teeterboro. Yeah, stay away from Teeterboro. It's not the most friendly. But uh, Newark was great. Um, we had a, we had an easy time and you get an Uber and mm-hmm. take and go into the city. It was really not a big deal mm-hmm. uh, to get in there. And if uh, the Uber has any trouble finding you, because it is a little tough to find Signature flight support over there, um, Signature will drop you off over at the terminal. And then at the Uber, they may even do, uh, like Boston now has the the special area for um, – uh, ride-sharing apps. So they'll take you over there and drop you off, and then your ride-share picks you up, drives mm-hmm. you over mm-hmm. into the city. And 4-7 uh, so, November and 3-9 November
0: are, I believe, just outside the Bravo. Uh, you, oh, you're talking about – you're not talking about – That's Central Jersey and Princeton.
1: A little further yep. than Newark, but little just outside
0: the Bravo. You could still take an Uber into the city. It's not a big deal.
1: Linden is one you could conceivably get into without – talking to anybody but uh the there's an 800 foot floor of the bravo right there um it's easier just to to talk to tower and get flight following down the uh the corridor and they'll help point out traffic to you and keep other people from touching you and things like that uh and to, then to get into there so you know that's that's not really a big deal at all to, to use those services i think that's that's just fine so let's transition to something a little bit more
0: serious Rob. Okay. So there's been some um, some incidents
1: in the last few weeks, and well, there have. I know we wanted to discuss this a little bit, um, and with regard to some of the incidents that have happened in Jan- January, is a rough month. We um, we we've, we've had a, a variety of incidents on the weekend of the 25th um, that drew a lot of attention to aviation and not necessarily a positive light. Um, the big one would be the loss of, of Kobe Bryant, uh, and the seven other people that were in his aircraft, the seven people in the aircraft, Mm -hmm. uh, and that helicopter. And we're not here to, to point fingers or anything like that. Um, but we can examine what we know so far. And my Big push, I suppose. The thing that I want to point out is we need to make good choices. And part of that comes down to using the technology that we have available to us. So I don't want to talk about what happened on this particular accident. But I was flying on that weekend from Florida to California in a single-seat airplane that was built for... High performance aerobatics, and so it wasn't equipped with necessarily the the highest of, of, of navigational resources. But I did have with me um, my iPad, and on it is ForeFlight, and I've I've paid for the the top end package on it. Uh, number one, so I could I could use it and actually speak with some expertise as to what tools are in there. And so that also I would have access to whatever tools they were putting in, that the company was putting in, Jepson was putting in, um, to help keep me safe. Cause that's what it's, what it's really about. Um, and one of the tools that was in there was this terrain, um, awareness avoidance system. And it shows a profile view of your aircraft and the terrain ahead of you and it will estimate where your first impact with terrain will be. If you continue on this course and it has another mode where it evaluates your flight plan and whatever your plan is, it will say, okay, at the altitude that you've put in here on the path that you've put in, you're going to have a terrain conflict within a hundred feet, a thousand feet, 500 feet, 800 feet, uh, in this area, in 40 miles, in 30 miles, in whatever. Um, and the one I was using because I I was moving a little bit left and right of my in, intended course um, was I was just using the one that said, okay, if I continue on this straight ahead, what am I going to touch? When am I going to touch it? Um, I was extremely lucky by uh, w- with the weather the entire weekend. I... Didn't see a cloud until Saturday evening. Uh, I took off Saturday morning. Didn't see a cloud till Saturday evening when I was at essentially my final destination anyway. And it started to, it, the cloud started to come down out altitude. And I was like, okay, well, I'm cold, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm done for the day. Um, so, not a big deal. And then on Sunday, it was completely. Clear skies, visibility unlimited, and then Monday morning, completing the journey flying through California, there were very few clouds above me. However, getting into the LA basin, there was a 200 foot mist thick mist layer that I could see down through. I could see everything on the ground, but if I was in that layer, it would have been rather difficult to see forward. But being above it, was fine and I could see all the terrain around me and all the terrain that was in that area and I had the iPad that was showing me what was going on around me as well. So I was using the tools, not only the Mark One eyeball, but also the situational awareness that the iPad and ForeFlight gave me to help me make sure that I stayed safe, made sure I stayed clear of terrain that was extremely unfamiliar to me. I had never flown out in, in New Mexico, Arizona, California. I'd never flown out there in that kind of terrain. And it really makes the mountains that we have here look mm-hmm. like hills. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite mind-blowing. It's like
0: when you refer to the whites in New Hampshire and they're like, oh, the white hills, you mean? <laughs> yeah. The white mountains. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, but that was the, the Kobe helicopter crash was on Sunday. Um, I, when I, when I got to Florida on Friday evening, um, checked into the hotel and was getting ready for the, the next day and the first leg of the journey, uh, because the key to success is preparation. I was seeing these notifications um about an air show crash in Guatemala and unfortunately we lost Steve Andolin and two other people on the ground at the show in in Guatemala and um it, it 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 ratchets up the tension just a little bit I I'm already not I don't want to say concerned but I am approaching this flight ahead of me for the next two, three days, whatever it's going to be with an elevated level of caution because I'm kind of venturing into the unknown. Yeah. It's an airplane that I'm familiar with. Um, I'm using technology that I'm familiar with. It's skills that I've, I've had over the years, but I'm trying to predict the unknowns. I'm trying to predict the things that I'm, I'm not going to maybe foresee right off the bat and trying to develop plans uh, for what I'm going to do. Mainly, it involves the weather. Okay, if I see this weather condition, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my plan. I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this as safely as possible. And then to hear about the loss of a professional, of a champion, and a performer that was Steve Andelin, it made me even take another second of pause and go, okay, if a professional like that, an expert like that, with that level of skill, can make a mistake, I can make a mistake. Okay. All right, so let's let's acknowledge this, and let's focus on the job. So Saturday morning, getting out to the airplane. I think I got out to the airplane at eight o'clock. Um, started the walk around, made sure I had all the documents, all the tools I was going to need, all the oil I was going to need for the trip. Made sure I could pack everything so that it wasn't going to fall someplace and jam a control. Um, just really, really thorough with everything I was doing, and had the mechanic who had been working on the airplane walk around with me and that way any any discrepancies or anything like that I could point out to him we get it taken care of right away and th- this morning also Saturday morning was a car show and a fly in at the airport that I was taking off from, so there 's probably three or four thousand people that are filing in and milling about at this airport. And so now I've got people that are coming up and taking pictures of the airplane and saying hi, and they want to know about it, and they're distractions. Okay. I'm a creature of habit. I think most pilots are creatures of habit. And so when you have a distraction like that, my personal policy is I take about five steps backwards. From whatever I was just doing, I'll go back and make sure I didn't miss anything. And it's I'll, like I'll... when
0: you lose focus in the checklist, you're supposed to go back a few steps. Exactly.
1: Not start where you're... Exactly like that. And so I was being extra vigilant. And we came across a couple problems. We had, we had a couple hurdles that we needed to tackle. But uh, with, war- with, uh, with the mechanic's help um, and with the help of the ground crew that was at the show, we were able to get everything taken care of. So got the airplane fueled up got everything packed inside, got myself comfortable in the cockpit, made sure everybody was clear of the aircraft, and we had wing walkers on each side, and we had a, 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 a golf cart in front with a follow-me sign and a flashing light and making sure that nobody walked in front of the airplane and making sure it was a clear path. Uh, and so we fired up at 11 o'clock. So I got there at 8. Three hours later, I'm firing up the airplane. And once I'm in the airplane, I, I, I try to put all that stuff behind me. I, everything that's happened in the outside world doesn't exist. It's just me, the airplane, and the job I have to do, and the information that's going to come in from here. And so, taking off, make it uh, make it all the way to Austin, Texas. I mean, the Saturday trip was was great. It was cold, but I had a heated vest, and that kept me just warm enough that I could tolerate two and a half hours in this airplane. Um, but made it to Austin, Texas. Get to the hotel open up uh, open up Facebook ordering food off of, off of Yelp and all that and I'm I'm seeing people that are saying uh, blue sky's tailwinds to Mark and I'm like no 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 not Mark um, Mark Novoselski was a US unlimited team member uh a competitor and one of the nicest guys in the aviation world Always had a smile on his face. Um, I met him once at um, Toms River, New Jersey. Uh, I can't remember the name of the airport now. But he'd stopped there with his uh, Flying Tigers team because they got weathered going into a show. They couldn't make it to their destination. And so they stopped. They made the right decision to not press into marginal conditions. Was that Ocean County? Or yeah, Ocean, Ocean County, County, yeah. So so he and Mark Sorensen with the Twin Tigers landed their airplanes there. They also had a P-51 and I think a B-25 with them uh, as well. And, and so, like, everybody was there, and they'd done the right thing, and they weren't even rushing out the next morning. It was just, hey, we're here. We're going to make sure the airplane's good and fueled and we'll be on our way. I think they were going to Maryland. I mean, they weren't going that far away, so... Uh, it, it was interesting to see him, and then you and I got to see him fly at Oshkosh the mm-hmm. twin tigers uh, and and we even got to see the night show mm-hmm. so it was i 'm glad that we got to see that but unfortunately um, Mark lost his life uh, and and he he was also with his his teammate 's son, and uh, we lost the two of them on saturday so here i am kobe's not even had an incident yet and i've already lost two people whom were brothers in the community and i and i know i'm i'm i've now got the hardest day ahead of me because of the terrain and the weather and the unknowns and the things that i haven't seen before and and i'm now going okay If I wasn't serious before, I'm I'm definitely serious now. And I was serious before. There's no joking around. Um, And I've got a a customer. I've got a client who owns this aircraft that is trusting me to get it to its destination. And um, I don't necessarily know how to talk about the events that have happened with them. I was pretty sure that they knew what had happened, but I wasn't going to be the first one to bring it up. I was going to keep it all business. But the next morning he mentioned it and we talked about it, a couple exchanges, and then I wrapped up with, okay, all of that aside, we're going to have a safe flight. We're going to get this job done. We're going to do it safe. We're going to do it right. And... um Whatever else we have to deal with we 'll deal with later, but right now this is the mission this is what we 're going to do uh, and i mean the the approach and the preparation really made it a successful flight and every single leg that I did, except for the last one on Saturday, I ended up flying an extra half an hour an extra uh, about a hundred miles from the original planned destination. Because the winds that I was seeing while I was up there were lighter than what was forecast before I took off. So while I was up there, do a recalculation. Okay, looks like I can make this. I'm planning two-hour legs anyway. Every 15 minutes or so, I'm just recalculating. I'm going, yep, the number still makes sense. Yep, number still makes sense. Yep, I still have that much gas. And I still had about an hour's reserve, 45 minutes at the least, reserve from that calculation of, of new destination. So I was able to make it further and further and further. And the airplane performed like an absolute champ. Uh, no major issues on the way. And really, it was an easy flight. Once I got the ailerons dialed in, it did have a little bit of a roll to it, taken off out of uh You had aileron trim? Yeah, well, no, I didn't have aileron trim. I had little pieces of window insulation yeah. that I was cutting... Um, I think I started <laughs> off with two and a half inches, um, and I added that to the right aileron and then I added, then I put another inch on. So I put a three and a half inch piece on and finally I put a four and a half inch piece on and it was the perfect, it was finally the perfect length, uh, to neutralize the aileron so I didn't have to fight it the entire time. And it made the airplane very, very, very neutral and, uh, made my life even easier. So I, I could... Now, where are you attaching those? You're attaching bottom them? of the aileron. So the, so the trailing edge, bottom of the aileron. And it's a full span aileron, so yeah. it goes out the entire length of the wing. So a little tiny piece actually has a big change. And all I, all I was looking for was balance. Sure. I was looking to make the airplane easy to fly. So by putting it on the bottom of the aileron you're, and the
0: wind's hitting that, it's going to lift that aileron up ever so slightly. hmm okay. Which will cause a,
1: a roll in the direction yep. of the tape that I applied. Yep, that makes sense. So uh, – Oh wow. But I mean the mountains uh were beautiful and it was interesting to watch the country change uh watch the Atlantic Ocean disappear behind me and the country was green and lush and then it turned uh kind of brownish and then it turned very very tannish, or like orangish almost and and then back again to green out in California gray for the cities and then finally I saw the ocean again and, and the Catalina Islands and all that. Um but uh it was it was very neat to watch the country fly by what was uh, your uh, average altitude going out oh uh, 65 i would say is average uh, there were times i was up at 8500 there were times i was down at 4500 um but at no point was i lower than 3000 agl or so and uh the 8500 sections were were for terrain and there was terrain to the left and right of me that was that was considerably higher, but, but what was below me, um, you know, was, was well clear. So there were some areas where, how did you cross the Rockies then the Southern pass down through, um, uh, Casa Grande, Arizona to palms, I think it's called Palm Springs, um, now is that a predetermined pass that people know about that is safe or is that something you had to figure out on your own with four Oh I'm one hundred percent sure that I was not the first to, to, to do that route and also like there's one cut through uh by Palm Springs out in out in California. I'm just gonna pull this up here. Uh this is uh, this is the uh the route I did. While this loads, where the mountains are are way down. Uh, It was probably 2000 MSL or even lower. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, But to your left and right, they're still. Yeah, PSP. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. to the left and right, they were at 65, 75, 85 down through there. And I can actually. Now, going through that pass, did you experience any turbulence? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, For the most part, the ride wasn't bad at all. There were some areas coming through Arizona where it was pretty gnarly. Uh, And at one point I did have a plus four minus two um, (laughs) on the G meter. But yeah, coming through Palm Springs, California, there's a area of low terrain there. So Palm Springs is down around looks like, yeah, it's, it's 500 feet MSL there and then about 15 miles to the east, it goes to 10,800. Oh, wow. So, I mean, <laughs> it's a very steep elevation climb. Um I'm sorry, to the west. It's ten eight. Did you fly over the forest com- country?
0: Isn't that in Arizona? I must have. I don't know. The, I think it's in Arizona. Maybe southern. Okay. I definitely wasn't thinking
1: about it if I did. Yeah, of course, of course. Um But so, yeah, that's there's 10,000 feet. To the west, to the northwest, it only goes up to 2,200 feet. Mm. And then to the north-northwest, it hits 11.5. Oh, yeah. So there's a there's a big cut in there, and it seemed like everybody was going through that. Now, through that particular pass, <clears throat> I picked up about 30 knots of tailwind, which was really nice and very heading odd. West, ben. Heading west? Heading west, because I was going west. Interesting. It was very odd to pick up a tailwind through there, but I had the high-pressure... Um, It was off to the north, and high pressure rotates clockwise, and I was on the south side of it. it. So I was getting that that flow of air that was flowing out uh, towards the ocean. Um, But then coming past L.A., I was on the east side of L.A., and it's all big peaks out there as well, 9,200 feet, uh, 9,700, 7,500, and then going through the area... Uh, over by Burbank, it drops down again to about 500 feet. It's almost sea level, and then it comes up to 6,000, and then it goes back down, and then it's up to 92 again. So I was, I was staying to the east side of the really high stuff, which is, which wasn't necessarily the planned route. Um, but I didn't really want to be over, because if I had been over really the planned route, Mm -hmm. um, it would have been nothing but, Big peaks, big valleys at six seven eight thousand feet now did four flight if you do say
0: Florida direct California, will four flight just draw a straight line or, or not just you, draw a straight line. even if you put an altitude in, yeah, it just draws a straight will line. it will it tell you then that you're going to hit terrain if you're saying no you sixty five hundred and there's no. a ten thousand foot mountain no no, it won't it won't tell you okay, um. Let me let, Interesting. me let me do something here. So you got to be really careful to know that you're well you got to know how to read the yeah. read the chart of course, but you know, it's it's it you know, we're always taught to to kind of look for uh, uh 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 towers and look for restricted airspace and you know, it's just good to think about the fact that
1: Yeah, also and look that, at re- that same ter- profile view serious that, terrain in front of you. Yeah, that same profile view that was telling me about terrain was also telling me about airspaces. That were that were ahead as well, so it it was multifunctional like that. Let me let me just do Austin because the train is pretty much all the same from Florida to Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Let's do uh, K A U S, and we're going to go send to flights and see what it says. See, it even does a great circle for that, which is pretty neat. Is um. Nice. So yeah, let's see here. I'm going to press Navlog and see if it does anything there. This is not an advertisement for fort flight or anything like that i mean no there's there's no real warnings in in there and even in the briefing it's it's not going to tell you about that um, this is yelling about me it is yelling at me about my max fuel because this is obviously too long of a leg mm-hmm. but uh no it's it's not telling me that and this part of the 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 app on Google Chrome on the Macbook is not to be used really in flight anyway. So it's, it's really good on, on the handheld devices and, um, that you're going to get a lot more performance out of it, (laughs) out of it there. (laughs) Um, but no, the, the technology exists to keep you from touching things. And while, while most of these high performance aerobatic airplanes, uh, are very minimally equipped, um, The one I was in also had a Garmin G3X Touch in it, which had terrain warnings in it as well. Um, so I could use that feature and it would yell at me if I was getting close to anything and, and, um, uh, would pop up. Uh, the, it's not, I can't call it the moving map, but you had the artificial horizon Mm -hmm. on, on the screen. And if you were approaching any terrain, it would actually show you the terrain in there. And so you could see that as the, the, the horizon really kind of matched what was happening outside the aircraft, what was happening cool. out in front. So it would actually tell you if a peak was above the horizon or below. hmm Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then it would, it would color code it as well. So yellow was within, if, if you were within a 1,000, and red was if you were within a 100. Um, now, now, we learn about all these tricks. Um, tools. Tools, yeah. Thank tools. you. You're right. Tools.
0: Um, we learn about all these tools. So, for example, uh, you know, looking left and you know, seeing the the wing against the horizon, and looking right and seeing the wing against the horizon, and knowing whether you're climbing or whether you're descending, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, when you're looking at the horizon, is there a tool? I don't want to say trick. Is there a way that you can tell? So, for example, if you see a hill ahead of, of you or a mountain ahead of you that is below the horizon, does that guarantee that you're above it or how does that
1: work? I I generally, if there's terrain above the horizon, yeah, you're, you're in trouble. I I generally take it as if, uh, if the terrain that's ahead of me is in my line of sight, I'm going to be too close to it. I don't care if I'm going to hit it or not. uh I'm too close. Okay. Okay. Um, So there were some challenges like that where I'm flying westbound and I'm going towards a a range of mountains that are too tall for me to climb above, Mm -hmm. but I have planned out on flight that I'm going to go to a spot and then I'm going to turn right and go up in between two mountain ranges. Well, I'm going to pass three or four or five other ranges and Mm -hmm. I have to take the correct turn. So it was really nice to have the little tiny airplane on the screen that was saying, hey, yeah, you're not to your turn yet, and not lose track. Um, I, c- I could see myself, especially in in my younger days, using paper navigation, because uh, I know I've screwed this up before with other landmarks. Yeah, looking at the chart and maybe losing track of which which pass, which cut I- I've gone past already and which one I'm supposed to get. Um In the airplanes, if you haven't hit anything yet, you can generally circle right where you are. With the helicopters, you can generally hover if you're not too heavy, or you can also circle where you are. But in the helicopters, you can get much slower. Mm -hmm. And so that's a tool. To slow down gives you time to evaluate, to make decisions, to see hazards. Um, And uh, there wasn't a time during this trip... Where I needed to slow down to find out where I, where I was, because the tools that I had were so powerful that i wasn 't going to get lost uh, or it was going to be very difficult to get lost, but in the past i I have slowed down, circled, stayed over a spot until I really figured out where I was, and uh, it's it's very eerie to discover that you're lost um, especially when you were real confident about where you were. Yeah. And I, I remember when I was uh I was working on my commercial and I missed I I arrived at a lake that I thought was a later checkpoint and I was like, Wow, I got a really good tailwind today. I dang, I got really far and then when I actually came across the actual lake that was the checkpoint, they were two completely different lakes that uh um, looking back, I'm like, wow, that was really dumb that I confused those two. But, uh, those are the kind of mistakes that you make and it's okay to slow down and take a time and, and, and make sure that you, you identify where you are. So we talked about, uh, you know, unusual attitudes and, and
0: we talk about like the train for that. Um, and, and people need training and, for that and, and recovering from that. So what. Would be your recommendation as a flight instructor for somebody to prepare for a situation where they're on a long cross country and then they find themselves, whether they, they, you know, dazed off a little bit or, or whatever the case is, they find themselves in a situation where they've got terrain in front of them and they look left and they look right and they've got ter- pretty much terrain all around them. Yeah. And, and they're, they don't really realize, they don't comprehend how they got to where they were and they need to take some time to figure out where they were. Do you recommend calling ATC first and, and asking where the, you know, for a location, do you recommend climbing? Uh, you know, what is the, what are the steps that somebody would take in that situation?
1: Aviate, navigate, communicate. You got to fly the airplane first. Mm-hmm. And if you're approaching a situation that looks bad in front of you and it looks bad to the left and it looks bad to the right, you need to slow down and turn around. Okay, and if it's a climbing turn, that's fine. We've practiced minimum controllable airspeed, so we know how to fly and maneuver the aircraft at the slowest it can possibly go. Now I'm not saying to slow down to MCA, okay, but slow down. Mm-hmm. Slow down because that's going to shrink your radius, okay? Keep the aircraft under control. Make sure that you're safe. Turn around 180 degrees because wherever you just came from, you know you didn't touch anything there, mm-hmm. so it's okay. It's safe. Is behind you. All right? And then navigate. Do I know where I am? Yeah, I know where I am. I can now effectively communicate to ATC to help them find me if they don't already know where I am. Help them find me and help communicate, hey, what are my options? What's around me? Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to land. Maybe I need another airport. Maybe I'm getting low on gas. Maybe the weather's deteriorating out in front of me, and I shouldn't go into that anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, VFR into IMC. You're doing the same thing. You're doing a 180. doing the same thing. Yeah. Okay, you need a 180. You need to turn around. And it's one of those issues where we keep seeing pilots go into deteriorating conditions. They press into it, and they don't survive it. Uh, this, the statistic or the studies that have been done, they show it's six seconds before a loss of control sets in, or at least disorientation sets in, which leads to loss of control. Because now you can't tell where the airplane is attitude-wise. You're illusions are kicking in, the G-forces are all over your body, and everything that you pull, you think, oh, I'm going up, but the altimeter is unwinding because you're in greater than 60 degrees of bank. But you didn't feel that happen. Yeah. Okay, so your body lies to you. And if your scan isn't really good, you're in trouble. That's a recipe for disaster and death.
0: If you react quick enough it, entering IMC, you need to get your eyes down. Eyes down, but also, I mean, what about if you are equipped with an
1: autopilot? Does it make sense to flip that on? Sure, again? I have done that. I was coming out of Martha's Vineyard um, on an evening, coming off a two-four, that blackout, and uh, yeah, it was it was black hole effect. Came off the runway, uh, overcast night, no moon, no lights. Mm-hmm. It was black on black with black highlights, mm-hmm. and my body was screaming. You're in a left roll. And I kept kind of internal monologue. No, you're not. Look at your instruments. Look at your instruments. And I reached over and I just turned the autopilot on. And the autopilot in this airplane, that first mode was wings level, vertical speed hold. So I was climbing at 700 feet per minute. A cap 140. Or... It was a Cap 140. Okay. It was uh, 700 feet per minute, wings level. And it just holds where it holds your 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 climb. It holds the climb. It changes the pitch to keep the climb rate, whatever it okay. is. Okay. Okay. So I pressed that button and I continued to scan because I don't trust a cap 140. Uh-huh. Okay. But I knew it had that initial mode. So knowing my systems helped. And I kept my scan going. Until the illusion went away, until the body kind of calmed down, until the brain was able to suppress those feelings of uh, uh, what's the, the that's the line from Bare Naked Ladies, chickity China, the Chinese Oh, vertigo, <laughs> vertigo. Until the vertigo, I love that you knew where I was going. <laughs> until the vertigo subsided, okay, and I could and I could get back control of my own body. Now I was I was. Smart enough to not, you know, try to react to that. But I was also making sure that the airplane didn't give me any other indications. The instruments didn't give me any other indications that it was doing something weird. And even then, if I was experiencing any kind of instrumentation failure, like if I'd have lost the vacuum system, the directional gyro may have started this to rotate, indicating a turn. But if <laughs> but if the if the rate of turn indicator didn't go anywhere i know that's lying or the, i have to determine which one is and incorrect. what is the autopilot feeding off of at that point the autopilot is feeding off of the the rate of turn okay so that's how it knows wings level okay okay um so if it doesn't see anything there it's not going to give any inputs okay um and that was, but <laughs> that wasn't the first time that I've had that illusion. Mm-hmm. I got that illusion once before. It was right after Star Wars Episode Two came out. Uh, my buddies and I left the left the theater and we went to my hometown airport and rented an airplane and took off. <laughs> same thing, black hole effect. Take off over a cornfield in, the, in Ohio at night. Yep, it's nothing on nothing with, with nothing. Okay, so coming out of there, kind of same thing happened. Lock down on the instruments. Make sure the airspeed doesn't go anywhere from Vy. Vertigo subsided, good to go. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting how an experience that had happened 15 years prior kind of came back, and I was able to use that same thing. But it it all came down to the training that I'd had in private instrument commercial and the things that I had paid attention to because my flight instructor said, you got to do this. And the big thing that we see private pilots struggle with getting into the instrument is making sure that they can fly the airplane solely with those reference to the instruments and understanding how their control inputs, uh, what changes those will make and what counteractions or what other inputs need to be made every time you make a control input. Because anytime you move one control, you need to move at least two others. And so, you, you, knowing and anticipating and applying all those together make you a real master of the aircraft. And that's one of the things that, uh, an instrument Flying, if we focus on it, it really really helps us out. You say every time you move
0: one control, you need to move at least two others. Are you talking about the? I mean, there's only three control surfaces,
1: right? So uh, power is. I'm also. Oh, you're throw including power. power. Okay, in gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Okay. So if you pitch up, you have to add a little bit of power if you don't want to slow down. If you add some power, you can need a little bit of right rudder. Same thing on the way down, just reversed ailerons. You need rudder, and uh, if you're turning, you're going to need elevator. So roll the airplane. Don't want the nose to fall. You got to pull. If you're pulling, you're increasing drag, you gotta add some power. If you're rolling the airplane, you need a rudder. Mm -hmm. If you're adding power, you need a rudder. If you're decreasing power, you're probably gonna need a little bit of rudder in the other way. So, understanding that you're gonna be busy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And training to make all those, all those inputs and all those motions is gonna save you in times of stress. And there is no greater stress in the aircraft than a loss of control in flight, which is why upset recovery training is so important. Okay. We have to train for these areas of maximum stress in order to handle them and perform when we need it the most. And retrain. Oh yeah, and there's retrain. recurrency. You need yeah. to
0: you need to maintain that currency. All right, so uh I want to get to some online questions that we've had coming in. Let's do it. Um but before I do, uh because of the importance of this topic, was there anything we kind of segwayed uh, or segmented or segwayed away from it? Uh is there anything you want to wrap up with with regards to uh your your flight out west and the events of that
1: weekend? Um I mean, uh We lost three professionals and some innocent people this weekend. Um, And only we can prevent that. Um, Just want to make sure that whatever you're doing, whatever operation you're conducting, that you approach it with the correct mindset, with a safety mindset, and that you just make the the best decision that you can. And sometimes that decision is not to go fly. And um, I know that there was a flight in a hawker that was supposed to go from, uh, I think, Tennessee or Kentucky or something like that up to Bristol, Connecticut, and the really wicked weather that spawned tornadoes in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the pilot for the corporation said we're not going and if you're working for a corporation that doesn't understand that decision and presses you to go and doesn't understand that the alternative to not flying is dying there's a lot of the corporations that are hiring that do understand Uh don't be afraid to walk away okay sorry so um It was a sad loss uh, this weekend. Um, And those of us who are still here just need to get back in the air and uh, fly with their memory and take them with you and uh, celebrate what they've done and cherish the lessons that they taught us. Um, We'll see them again someday. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. But until then... Uh let's let's get back up there in the sky and, and uh do it do it right, do it safe. What's it. You never know it's gonna be your time. So love with all your heart. Some good advice. Yeah. Speaking
0: of doing it right and doing it safe, how about we talk about some questions that students are asking? Let's do it. Um so the first one I think Rob you'll appreciate this. This comes from a student who is just uh just learning how to fly. And their question is What's the difference between mixture and throttle? I had a trial flight in a Cessna 152, and it was my biggest
1: question. Sure. Um, the mixture determines the amount of fuel that gets introduced into the combustion chamber per the amount of air going in. The throttle adjusts the amount of air that's going in. So if you don't add any gas, if you don't add the mixture... Doesn't matter how much air you give it, you won't get combustion. You won't have a running engine. Um, but there are operations, there are times in flight where you don't need all of the gas that the fuel injection or the fuel in, uh, uh, um, the carburetor may be able to give the engine. You can take some of that away to increase efficiency. So the throttle is going to be there to control the amount of air that your engine pumps because the engine is really just an air pump. So if you limit that, then you get your RPM, but for any given RPM, you can give it more gas. You can give it less gas to change the efficiency of it. So in cruise flight, we'll set an RPM that's about 65 to 75% power somewhere in that range. And then we'll, lean, take away gas that wouldn't have been burned anyway to try and reach the theoretical stoichiometric mixture, which is where you're burning every little bit of oxygen and every little bit of fuel with nothing left over to come out to be wasted out the exhaust and all you would have out the exhaust is pure carbon monoxide and other byproducts, but no remnants of fuel remain and no remnants of oxygen remain that could have been burned. So that's why we use the mixture. We use it to increase our efficiency or our power when we need it. So is that why when we're leaning the mixture, uh, the, the point
0: where we start leaning it, we're twisting the knob counterclockwise, we're twisting the knob counterclockwise, nothing's happening. And then We see, we feel, and we see the drop.
1: Yeah, I mean, you may not, you may not perceive it, but if we we turn it right a little bit, and then we're good. If you're watching the exhaust gas temperatures, you'll start to see them go up. As you lean, even before you may hear or feel a change in engine performance, Uh, and those temperatures are going up because there's no little excess droplets of fuel coming out to absorb and retain and to carry away heat. Interesting. So you're burning more. Mm-hmm. You're leaving less behind, and so you're generating more heat, and the heat that is generated is now getting dissipated into the metal, into the into the exhaust gases, instead of being held in the droplets and leaving out the exhaust. So you could cruise at full mixture, and you're not damaging the airplane. You're just wasting gas. Well, that is even potentially a problem, too, um, because if you are too rich mm-hmm. – this is a very, 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 very rare, very rare condition, mm-hmm. but being too rich and having too much fuel could actually break down the thin coating of oil on the cylinder walls.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And then you don't have any of that oil protecting the metal on metal from happening and you're washing your cylinders. So depending on your, on your airplane, you could actually have an over rich mixture. Um, that that's rather rare of a condition. Um I wouldn't worry about it too much, especially in the Cessna one seventy twos, the O three twenties, the O three sixties, I wouldn't worry about it so much in those. Uh however, that could be happening and that's that could be leading to early uh engine failure mm-hmm. as well. So um if you have an engine that's rather low time but you're oil analysis that you do at your oil changes is showing a lot of metal particulate if you've been operating too rich that could be causing that problem that that metal on metal action Uh, or if you're wearing out cylinders too quickly that that could be a problem there so follow your pilot's operating handbook your manufacturer's recommendations for leaning uh, and operations to make sure that you take care of that engine and uh, you, you aren't wasting gas and you aren't wasting expensive engines, uh, just, just because you weren't leaning as per the manufacturer's recommendation. Got it. All right. Uh,
0: so this one, I am kind of interested, oh, I think we, we kind of know the answer to this, but I'm kind of interested to know how you answer it. If a student were to ask you this question, okay. so it's, it's, you know, it's an hour, you're half an hour into somebody's discovery flight and they turn to you and they go, Rob, why don't airport runways have a ramp at the end to help the plane get off the ground?
1: If I'm using all of the runway, (laughs) um probably making some poor choices there. So uh generally my airplanes that or the airplanes that we fly only need about seventeen hundred feet, two thousand feet at the most to get off the ground. Um and so I suppose if I was flying from an eighteen hundred foot strip, I would want that ramp at the end, but uh, you would want that ramp at the end? Oh uh, yeah, I would want that ramp at the okay. end. But unfortunately in a tricycle geared airplane, your propeller is going to be the first thing right. that gets to that ramp and um the compression of the nose strut as you hit that and try to make that that little ramp is uh is 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 not gonna go well for the longevity of that propeller. Would there, Russian would the, aircraft Would the carriers, ramp even assist you? Because it might actually
0: no, it does. It might actually take you out of ground effect, though, right? I guess oh, it's, it's
1: going to take you out of ground effect, but mm-hmm. it's going to get you launched up there. Uh, and then you can do like a half-G unload and let the airplane accelerate in that half-G. Interesting. And you All won't right. stall. But, yeah, the Russian aircraft carriers and I think even the British uh, mm. uh, carriers for their jump jets have a ski lift that <whistles> ramps you, ramps oh, you Interesting. Off All right. Or All ski right. jump, I think they call it. All
0: right, let's throw in this uh Rob, what is the uh rarest airplane you have ever flown on? Not necessarily flown, but flown on.
1: Um well, uh rarest, I think there's a three-way tie uh and I've flown all of them. So or maybe it's a four-way tie. Um in 1934 or I don't remember if it was a 34 or a 28 uh Ford Trimotor. I flew that. A 1941 de Havilland Chipmunk, uh, flew that. I have flown the dirigible. No, no, no. Um, I have flown the Goodyear Blimp in its old form, and I have flown the Goodyear Blimp in its Zeppelin form. Mm-hmm. So I've logged time in all four of those, those different airframes. Um, I would say the Goodyear Blimp is the is the more rare one because there's only three of them in the country, Well, in the United States, in the Zeppelin form, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the De Havilland Chipmunk. Uh, actually, the the trimotor at the time I think was one of two, and then the Chipmunk. There's a dozen Chipmunks out there, but it was a really really awesome airplane to fly. Cool. Yep.
0: Uh, and then the final question of the night mm-hmm. is. Uh, What is the simplest way to understand and explain Coffin Corner?
1: Well, Coffin Corner is the point at which your stall speed and your max mock operating speeds meet. And what's happening there is you're you're reaching supersonic flow over the airfoil, which generally will result in a nose-down uh, or could possibly result in either a nose-down or a nose-up pitching moment. More than likely, it will be nose-down uh, in mock-tuck, um, but also could just be structural damage. Okay, bad thing. But if you slow down at all, you're at your stall speed, your wing stalls, so you can't increase angle of attack, you can't increase lift, you can't slow down, you can't go faster, you can't you can't get away from stall and you can't go any faster. You're in a bad spot. So you have to do this very delicate dance of working back the power, lowering the nose all at the same time in order to keep the aircraft from accelerating anymore and developing supersonic flow over the wings uh, or over other structures on the aircraft. Um, while not losing airspeed so rapidly that your angle of attack changes to exceed critical, um, on an airliner, if you stall, you're stalling at your wingtips first, which the wingtips are generally, the wings are generally swept. So the tip stalls, that's way back. Mm-hmm. And now you get this nose up pitching moment, which is bad because then you are definitely exceeding critical angle of attack, so that makes everything worse. Uh, and then mock tuck is trying to happen, which is a nose-down moment, so you get all these things kind of working together. So really, Coffin Corner, the problem with Coffin Corner is that you can't speed up anymore because you're at max mock operating, and you'll get supersonic flow, which is a lift destroyer over the wing. Uh, and you're also right at your stall speed and your critical angle of attack, so you can't slow down without stalling. All bad things. So you have to do, again, this very delicate dance of slowing the airplane down while keeping it. So Can you in, just do that. like a falling leaf at that point? Well, um, it would be a rather violent falling leaf. <laughs> it would. It would be pretty bad because you're also not... It's not like install when we're, we're when we're at forty knots or eighty knots in your bigger airplanes or anything like that, where it's like oh my flight path just starts to to, to drop off and it's not a big deal. You're still going through the air at five hundred some miles an hour mm-hmm. true airspeed. You're indicating on you know, two fifty or two seventy something like that, mm-hmm. but. um it, the the forces now go from where the airplane is designed to have them to, or the airflow, the relative wind goes from where it's designed to have it to, oh, hey, I'm now at this angle uh, on, on your, your different structures, and you, you could have overstresses in other areas besides just the wing. It's a very pla- very bad place to be, which is why they call it Coffin Corner. Uh, I have talked to some pilots who have been there, and they just talk about it as you got the stall you got the stall warning going off and the overspeed clacker at the same time, and you're working very hard as a crew to keep that aircraft under control and to get it oh, to get it slow back down. So yeah, that's, that could be a bad place to be.
0: Interesting thing to try to sim sometime.
1: Um, if they can actually. I know I have seen Mock Tuck in DCS World. Um, I can't say that I've seen Coffin Corner necessarily. Got it.
0: Yeah. So the airliners you mentioned, they they stall at the wingtips. Which is a swept p- wing. Uh, swept wings. Yep, swept okay. wings. Stall- yep, that makes sense. So are you saying that an airliner stalling is, is,
1: is not a good thing even in a controlled environment? Oh, it's very bad. Uh, the stall characteristics of those jets is you get you get some very, very divergent forces where uh So have test pilots taken a seven three seven out and stalled it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they go through stall series during certification. You can find videos for that uh online seven thirty seven, seven eighty seven, uh the Airbuses, the A three eighty, uh how they went through all their stall programs and they even do um Uh, The high speed stuff as well. So they'll take it to the edges and beyond of where the the engineers say, yeah, this is this is the limit. Uh, And they're up there wearing pressurized suits and helmets and parachutes and all kinds of stuff just in case the aircraft breaks apart uh, or they lose control of it and, and have to get out. So. Uh, The aircraft have been tested, and the procedures that uh, are now in place are uh, the the best for recovery from stall. But the focus is is still, and as it always should be, on on prevention. Uh, Do not stall the aircraft. Be aware of all the warning signs. And if you screwed up and weren't aware and you didn't prevent it, now how to fix it effectively. And you have to push. You have to push on that control column in order to unstall that aircraft. Mm, Okay. I would, I would rather have to deal with compressibility than stall. That's that's my personal. So if I'm in coffin corner, I'm going to be pulling the throttles back, but lowering the nose to make sure that I maintain below the critical angle of attack, and I'll deal with the mock tuck mock tuck issues if they if they present themselves. Got it. So, all right, we'll take us home. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for this first video podcast, uh, the video edition. I'll have to wave to my camera that I never talked to. I'll wave to my camera, which I hopefully spent some time talking to. Yeah, you you did. But not too much. And then we have the center camera here, which, you know, I'm not sure how we're going to use it, but, Mm. you know, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming along. If you enjoyed this, tell your friends. If you didn't, tell your enemies. And uh, join us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Monday night live streams. We're uh, twitch.tv slash spreadaviation. Real easy to find us there. And uh, questions, comments, concerns are at hello at spreadaviation.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Spread aviation. Yep. We doing lazy bums.
0: Alright. That's it. 33. See ya. Fly safe.